Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You're sitting on your couch, binge-watching your favorite courtroom drama television show. You're three episodes in and, and things are they're getting good. The defendant in this courtroom drama is a guy by the name of Job. And, and, and he has been defending himself because nobody else would step forward to do it for him. And, and finally, he stands up in the courtroom and he's giving his one last final closing argument. And in that closing argument, he goes point by point defending himself against the expert witnesses who have been testifying against him, his three former friends. And, and now Job simply stands up and he makes this bold statement that he wants God to show up and usher a final judgment. The evidence is finished. There's nothing more to say. The words are done. So Job takes a piece of paper, his final not guilty plea. He signs his name to it, and he slams it down on the table. As you're watching this unfold, though, at the very end of the episode, in a dramatic turn of events, as they always do at the end of an episode, the camera pans to the gallery where a man stands up in a fit of rage and with anger pouring out from every orifice in his body, he shouts out, I need to say something. And then the screen goes black, the credits start rolling, the music's playing, you look at your spouse who you've been watching the show with, and you say, who in the world is that? Should we keep watching? And before you've made a decision, Netflix has decided for you, you are moving on. You are into the next episode. And so here we are. <laughs> we have been, as a church, studying the book of Job for the last three weeks. It is the fourth week right now. So if you're just joining us today and you want to get caught up, all of our sermons are on demand. Not on Netflix just yet, but they are on our website or on our church app if you want to check that out and get caught up. We are in week four out of six in this systematic sermon series on the book of Job. The guy that stood up, his name is Elihu. Elihu. That's the guy who stood up, the angry man. He's been listening to this courtroom drama, this debate, these various testimonies between Job and three of his former friends as they've been going round and round in circles trying to figure out whose fault it is that Job is suffering so much. Job says, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything. These three friends say, yes, you did. That's why God is punishing you. Elihu, he had the opportunity earlier on to testify. He could have walked up into the witness stand but he had chosen to remain just a spectator up until this point because he figured the three friends who stepped forward before, they were older, and therefore, you know, if you're older, you've supposedly got more wisdom. And so he figured, I'll just stay in the back and let these older, wiser guys testify against Job. I'm just not going to say anything. But once they've finished their arguments, Elihu just can't take it. He's been sitting back there, and it's been boiling inside of him. And so finally he says this, Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I might find relief. 
I must open my lips and answer. He's like fermenting wine, if you've ever made that, and it's just about to, just about to break. He can't contain himself. It says he's angry four different times. He's so angry. He can't contain himself. He's going to explode if he doesn't say something. Elihu, though, he's not, he's not here just to speak to one party. He's not here just to speak to Job. And he's not here just to speak to Job's friends. Elihu is upset at the whole thing. He's kind of mad at everybody. It says in verse 2 through 5, He burned with anger at Job because Job had justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he, and when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. So this man, Elihu, he's angry at the whole situation, just at everybody. He's, he's mad mostly at Job, not in particular about Job's circumstance. He's mad that Job hasn't been speaking well. So he's mad at the way that Job has been talking to God. He basically says to Job, Job, how can you be so disrespectful to God to be so angry and so honest and brutal with him? If you were here with us last week, I told you that it's actually good for people of faith to speak openly and honestly to God. We call that lamenting, right? Just to let God know what's going on. Not denying him, but in a matter of faith saying, God, what's the deal? But Elihu looks at Job saying, you can't be so disrespectful to God. That's what, this is Elihu's point to Job. And he says to Job's friends, and you guys, come on, you can't put together a convincing argument to save your lives. He's just mad that their logic isn't good. And so Elihu's got to insert himself. This is why he says something. He's just angry at the whole situation. Let me put it into practical terms for you. Maybe you know the feeling. You're observing a debate. Maybe it's between two family members at a holiday get-together, or two workers on your lunch break, or maybe even worse, when you're scrolling through the comments section on a divisive Facebook post. You see the arguments of both sides. They both got their points. But as you look at it, they've both got their weaknesses as well. Some in their arguments, some in just their tact and the way they're bringing about their points. And so as you're watching this unfold, you feel like you and you alone could solve this problem if you were just to insert yourself into the situation. But at first you don't. At first you don't, you just watch to see how things play out. But as it gets worse and worse, you're looking, saying, if I just say something, I can make it better. And so you do. You cannot stop yourself. You're about to explode if you don't say something. So you put yourself in the middle of it. This is what Elihu did. This is what Elihu, Elihu did. He, he stood up and he speaks. He puts himself out there. And he's got these three chapters, actually four chapters, of just long-winded speeches that just go on and on. And as, as we read them, it's so full of irony. Because here's what he says. He says to Job, Job, 
How can you claim to speak with any sort of knowledge of God? You don't know who God is. Look at you. And then he turns right around and he says, but now, Job, listen up. I have something to say from God to you. <laughs> He's full of himself. He's really full of himself. He says, Job, you just, this punishment that you're suffering, it is your fault. And until you repent, God is not going to grant you any relief. So Elihu goes on and on, chapters 32 through 37 of this book. And nobody, when he's finished, nobody debates him. Nobody debates him. His words just end, and then God shows up. So God's really the only one who has something to say to Elihu, and God will essentially just laugh him off the stage with a proof of his almighty power. Debates like these between parties and the people inserting themselves, these things go on and on in our world as well. <clears throat> people don't often listen to each other well. They don't know each other's context. I see this happen most prominently on the world, maybe America's favorite debate stage, the comments section of the internet. <laughs> Now, uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it is that comment section on a divisive political Facebook post, or maybe it's even the reviews section on, a, on an Amazon product listing. But debates rage in these places, and people always start at the extremes. People start at the extremes, and they don't speak well to one another. And then you often see it where others insert themselves, trying to bring in a higher point of view, only to get swallowed up in the debate as well. <clears throat> there is a universal human experience at play here. And it is the human need that we have to seek justification to seek justification is in our human nature. What does that mean? It means that we want to be proved to be right. We want to be proved to be right. That's what, that's what we want. We want to be right, and we want other people to see that we are right. That's what Job wanted. Actually, that's what Elihu criticized him of. It was in the reading. He said, you're trying to justify yourself. Job wanted justification. His friends wanted justification. They wanted to be proved that they were right and not Job. It's what Elihu wants when he inserts himself into the situation. He wants to be proved right. It's in our human nature to want justification. But the sad thing is, in this day and age, it seems that most people aren't so concerned about being justified by God as they are by being justified by other people. Most people don't seem at all concerned about the judgment of God on the last day when he will return to judge the living and the dead, as we will confess in the creed in a minute. People don't seem to be future-oriented. They seem to be worried about today and whether they will be justified by their peers. And, and in seeking justification from our peers, we do it because we are also afraid of the judgment of those same people. We're afraid of their judgment, so we seek justification from them. And how does this work in the online world? We seek justification in the online world through likes and shares and favorites and retweets and all that kind of stuff. We seek self-justification 
far and above the often the justification that has already been given to us through Jesus Christ. People can be brutal to one another in their self-justification. And Martin Luther speaks to this when he says these words, The carnal nature of man violently rebels, for it greatly delights in punishment, in boasting of its own righteousness, and in its neighbor's shame and embarrassment at his own unrighteousness. Therefore it pleads its own case, and it rejoices that this is better than its neighbor's. Our sinful selves just somehow always think that we're right. And we, des- we feel like we deserve to be right, and we will fight hard to make sure that other people see that we are right and everybody else is wrong, and oftentimes we do everything we can to break down the other in order to justify ourselves. It's our sinful human nature. We can learn a lot from Elihu's example in the story of Job. See, Elihu claims to be in the know, in the, in the know of God's knowledge. He claims to have wisdom from on high. He says that Job and his friends, they don't know anything, so he's going to bring God's wisdom here. He thinks that somehow his words will sway the conversation, that he will prove everyone wrong, and that in the end, I wonder what his end goal is in this. What's Elihu's end goal in inserting himself into the debate? What, what, that everybody's going to look at him and then say, oh, thanks, Elihu. We love you. We're so glad that you made everything right. What does he want? He wants self-justification too. Where do you seek self-justification? I know you do. I do it. Where do you seek it? Is it, is it in the online spaces? Is it in those online spaces, even if, it, if, even if it's so discreet as to put a post out there and check every time you get a notification to see who's liking, who's loving, who's commenting, just to make you feel better? Or, or maybe it's just that discreet post that you're waiting to see if that one person that you hope react, will react reacts. Is that what you do in order to seek self-justification? No matter where you do it, No matter where you do it, we're always constantly doing it. We're trying to prove that we are lovable. We're trying to prove that we are lovable, but oftentimes we try to prove that we're lovable by trying to please the unpleasable. And trying to please the unpleasable is something, it's a fruitless endeavor that will inevitably lead to despair. But the love of God is different. God does not find something lovable. God creates that which is lovable. God doesn't go seeking you based on how many likes your best post has and he sees you as somebody who's worth having. God doesn't go and look for the lovable. God creates that which is lovable. He did not keep you around because of your worldly wisdom. He created you to be lovable, and he made you that way through his own death and resurrection. The message of the gospel is exactly this that was read from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
Though, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The righteousness, you've been made right with God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you, and it's given to you as a gift. As a gift. Our righteousness before God is a gift to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We stand before God We stand before God not because of a sum total of our likes, our favorites, and our retweets. We stand before God because Jesus stood up for us. We have a standing before God because Jesus stood up for us. This need for our justification, this need to be made right, it's already taken care of. It's already taken care of. You are already right. You are already good. You are already in good standing before God Almighty, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. You are wanted. You are desired. You are loved. You are. You are. You are justified because God justified you. God himself showed up. God showed up when nobody else would show up for you. God showed up. And where God shows up, justification happens. Here's a teaser for next week's episode. God's going to show up. He's going to show up. You can read about it. Read ahead in chapters 38 through 41 if you want. But God will show up. And he's going to show up in, in a storm, in a whirlwind. And he will be present there. God will show up in that storm. God will come to Job, and God will come for Job, and God will come to justify Job. And this is what you and I have received in Jesus. God came for us. God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. God didn't send an ambassador for us. He didn't send a representative. He came himself. Jesus came because in Jesus, in him alone, is the justification that we need, the justification that we desire. God came. God came. And God came to step into the storms of your life, to be present in the storms of your suffering. He knows what you're going through. He knows your weakness. He knows your desire to want to be liked and loved and made right. He knows. He knows your weakness. He knows your low self-esteem. He knows the words that the world and the evil one are speaking against you. He knows your weakness. He knows your worries. And he's been through your pain. God himself walked through the brokenness of this world and he rose victorious over its final attack of death. If he can do that, you better believe he can be with you in what you're going through today. My friends, you don't need to justify yourselves in in this world. You don't need to be the savior of the world and solve all the world's debates. You have been given a life And you have been given a voice, but that life and that voice have been given to you to point people to Jesus. To point people to Jesus. Because there in Jesus we see what true judgment looks like. Judgment that was given to someone else instead of you. 
And there we see what true justification looks like, where he dies and you get to go free. There at the cross of Jesus Christ, we're forgiven, free, and made right with God. My friends, this story continues. The episodes are going to go on. There's two more. And I pray you come back next week so that you can see what God has to say. So far, we haven't heard much from God, but he's been watching, and you better believe he's got something to say. Next week, he's going to speak. I pray you come back. Go in the grace, the peace, and the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.